Technical production for The Aaron Rupar Show is provided by Studio Americana, an audiobook and podcast production company based in Minneapolis, serving clients nationwide. They're both very thin-skinned. They're both very vindictive people. Um, They're going to be fighting over every state rep, every state senator, every governor is going to be forced to take a side. A lot of them are going to want to stay out of it. But these two characters are going to really, and their henchmen are going to really put a lot of pressure on these people to take sides. Um, The influence are are already fighting with each other and going at each other like crazy right now. That's only going to get worse. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Aaron Rupar Show. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by my first, second-time guest on the podcast, Ron Filipowski. Ron uh, probably needs no introduction. Uh, Like I said, he was actually the guest on the very first episode of this podcast, um, and he tracks Republican politics probably more closely than just about anyone um, and has been posting a lot of really interesting tweets about Ron DeSantis' campaign, Donald Trump, uh, right-wing influencers, all that sort of interesting stuff that will be in the news more and more as the campaign, the primary campaign gets underway. Um, We are recording this earlier on Wednesday, hours before a Twitter space in which Ron DeSantis is expected to announce his presidential campaign in conversation with Elon Musk. Uh, Obviously, that is a fascinating development on a number of levels, and Ron and I get into that uh, Ron, much to my surprise, is actually quite optimistic about DeSantis's prospects for defeating Trump. And so we kind of talk through what a successful DeSantis campaign could look like. Um, we talk through Tim Scott's candidacy as well and all sorts of other things having to do with the Republican primary. So this is sort of, I think, a table setter for what we will see in American politics in the months to come. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to the Aaron Rupar show wherever you get your podcast. If you're more into YouTube and watching conversations like this, uh, watching the video feed, uh, you can find that on my YouTube page. And I ask that you please subscribe, leave positive reviews and share the show where appropriate to help me uh, spread the word about what I'm doing here. I'm very excited today to have a Florida man on to talk about the Florida man Republican primary. Um, There's a lot of big news happening surrounding the Republican primary these days. And so there's nobody better to talk to about that than Ron Filipowski. So, Ron, thanks for making some time uh, this morning to talk. Thanks. I can hardly wait for this primary. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's already underway. Uh, We're already living, you know, experiencing it. And uh, today is obviously a big day. We're talking on Wednesday earlier in the day. So um, we are not going to be able, obviously, to talk about the content of the big, uh, maybe the most anticipated Twitter space of all time. Um, I can't think of one that's been more anticipated than Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis, uh, two very charismatic individuals doing an audio-only event to announce DeSantis's presidential campaign. And um, I think you had a tweet kind of along those lines too, um, kind of highlighting the fact that you know the audio-only nature of this Twitter space is is not ideal. I wouldn't think because you know you think about when candidates such as Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, they do these big speeches to announce their campaigns. And you can kind of splice splice that up, uh, use clips, and uh, they circulate on cable news and elsewhere. Um, you know, it remains to be seen how that will work with the Twitter space. People will just take little fragments of audio. There's also questions about, you know, whether Twitter can handle the amount of traffic uh, that an event like this will attract. Um, so, you know, there'll be a lot, by the time that people are listening to this, we'll know a lot more about that. 
But there's still a lot to talk about even beyond the content of the event. And Ron, I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts uh, about kind of the strategy behind using, you know, leveraging Elon Musk in a Twitter space if you're Ron DeSantis to launch your campaign. Uh, what do you make of that move? And what do you think it says about DeSantis's campaign? Yeah, I think there's three things here. Um, one is I understand the argument of wanting to tap into Musk's audience. And obviously Musk is going to put this out to his followers. So it won't just be a Twitter space. Um, so he's got 138 million followers. So I understand the benefit there, but I don't understand him launching his campaign this way. I, I understand him wanting to do a Twitter space with Musk, but when you're announcing your campaign, it seems like you, you know, the atmospherics, like you said, people, you want people to clip it, to, to go on local news, to go on national news, um, obviously that won't happen here. Um, I read a funny tweet, uh, from a Trump supporter saying that the reason why he's doing this is so he won't, no one can see his facial expressions. Yeah. And, um, because he also found somebody is more socially awkward than himself, uh, yeah. which will kind of make him look good by comparison. I also noted that David Sachs is, I guess, moderating this discussion. So uh, I don't know that that makes it any better. Um, right. Maybe Sachs will chime in with some of his pro-Putin, pro-Russia questions. Um, he seems to be um, Musk's spiritual advisor on foreign policy. Uh, yeah. PayPal guy. Good, good, good choice. Um, but, you know, the other thing is um, I read an interesting article that talks about that he is patterning his campaign, possibly his media strategy after Glenn Youngkin's, hmm. um, which was to kind of ignore mainstream media, freeze mainstream media out, try and do more of an online campaign and grassroots campaign. I, I, I understand the strategy. I don't think it necessarily works in a national campaign. I think you can pull that off in a state. But, you know, so I'm I'm wondering, I read two conflicting articles. One says he's going to start embracing mainstream media again. And then I read another one saying, no, he's going to do the opposite. So yeah. this could be a signal that he's preparing to do the opposite. Well, and it's also kind of odd because it's not like DeSantis is a hyper online Republican. I mean, he barely tweets. Um, I don't really think he has much of a presence like on true social or other platforms. None, zero. And so, you know, kind of leaning into we're going to announce our campaign on a Twitter space, Um just seems like kind of an odd fit. I mean, I could understand it more, you know, from someone like a Trump or a Vivek or, you know, the more online types of candidates. But, you know, I think DeSantis posts like one tweet every you know week or so, maybe a couple a week. Um, so that, that part of it seemed kind of odd to me, too. Yeah, I mean, the ones he does are kind of like form tweets where you can tell he's not writing them. They're being written by, you know, his spokesperson or or somebody with his campaign or with his with the governor's office. Um so the few tweets he does, they're not personal tweets. They're, you know, right. they're clearly being drafted by somebody. So I just don't see an online campaign working. I mean, he has the cash where, I mean, I can see where if you don't have the money, that's where you where you go because it's cheaper, but he has the money. So I think he'll probably try and do some mix, but he does seem serious about freezing out media. Uh, traditional mm -hmm. mainstream media um, and not doing, you know, the sit down interviews, not doing press conferences. Um, and because we know those are not good environments for him anyway. Yeah. So his excuse not to do them is, well, they're biased and they're going to portray me in a negative light and they spin their narrative and I'm not going to participate in that. Yeah. Interesting. We haven't seen somebody try and do that while running for president. 
I don't know if he could pull it off. Well, and that's been very much of a piece with his approach as governor, too, where he does these press events that are very friendly reporters who are there asking him questions. And, you know, there have been a few instances where the filters don't work and there is more of a legitimate news reporter there who will ask him a tough question. And oftentimes those clips don't turn out great for DeSantis. And so I, I sort of get his reluctance. Um, he is going on Fox tonight, uh, the 8 p.m. Uh, slot, which is Tucker's old slot. Uh, right now they are doing rotating hosts. And I believe the host this week is Trey Gowdy. And there's some intrigue there as well, because it kind of raises questions as to, you know, did uh, Sean Hannity pass on doing this interview with DeSantis because of loyalty to Trump? Did Laura pass? Um, you know, is Trey kind of the the one primetime host who would bite, you know, Jesse Waters as well? He has higher ratings than uh, the old Tucker slot has these days. So you think he would be, you know, a better fit for that. Um, so, you know, certainly he's not going to do CNN or MSNBC, although I guess we'll see if Chris Lick decides that doing a DeSantis town hall might be good for ratings, but uh, he will be on Fox tonight uh, shortly after the Twitter space. I definitely can see Hannity declining that because Hannity is a Trump loyalist. Ingram, no. I mean, Ingram, Ingram's sending signals. She's team DeSantis. Hmm. So I don't think Ingram would decline that. But Trey Gowdy, <laughs> you know, it's just so perfect that it's Trey Gowdy because MAGA hates Trey Gowdy. They hate yeah. Trey Gowdy. So if it's Trey Gowdy and DeSantis, that's just going to set them off even more. And, you know, to me, that's the best part about this primary now is is not just Trump and DeSantis fighting. It's the influencers, the online people, the media people, the elected officials, the candidates. They're all fighting with each other now, which is only going to get worse. So, yeah, I could see him going on with Trey Gowdy is going to get MAGA pretty worked up. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more DeSantis questions, but one thing I want to ask you about before we move on uh, too much here, because obviously you are very plugged in in terms of following the influencers, um, kind of the chatter, even you know, the chatter on the right even more so than I am. I'm really immersed like in Fox, Newsmax, kind of the more mainstream. You get a lot of clips from, you know, the influencers, kind of people below the surface who have a lot of sway on the right, but, you know, aren't household names uh, necessarily. Um, do you think that Elon, you know, kind of taking this step of almost being like a press flack for DeSantis with this launch event? I mean, could this end up backfiring on Elon in the sense that it could really alienate uh, the megas who, you know, are very loud on Twitter, who have been kind of emboldened by the paid uh, verification, so to speak, that they have on Twitter these days. Um, you know, I could see it kind of driving a wedge um, in, you know, Elon's customer base, a lot of which are Trump supporters. Definitely. Elon doesn't really understand MAGA. I mean, you know, he has this flirtation with a handful of them online, you know, that I watch his interactions with them every day, but it's the same sort of 10 or 12 people. Um, he doesn't really understand the, the, the broad base of the, the MAGA people. And yes, I mean, all of them that they came to love Elon because he let, he let a lot of their, them back on Twitter, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they're very grateful and thankful to him that all of these people, the J six people and all these, all these other ones have been let back on the platform. So they're very happy about that. But I think a lot of them are very wary of Musk and a little distrustful of him and don't really know what to make of him. And then you also have people like Steve Bannon and Donald Trump, even that are quite critical of Musk um, for his ties to the Chinese Communist Party, uh, all the business that he does in China, um, the fact that he supposedly was a Democrat in the past, the fact that he's supposedly a globalist and a tech bro and all that. So I think they're already a little, you know, 
um, leery of him. And I think once he starts to go all in on DeSantis, as I expect him to do, um, yeah, I think he's going to really kind of blow it with a lot of them. And it's just it makes no sense for somebody like him to start becoming a a partisan figure, Mm. especially, you know, his car company with all these other businesses. It just makes no sense to me whatsoever. But. Well, and, and you were kind of on fire yesterday because I thought, you know, I, I retweeted this as well. Your tweet about how, you know, we just got done with um, and I, I'm kind of extrapolating from your tweet a little bit, but we, we just got done with basically a two month meltdown over the Twitter files and this idea that, you know, Twitter in 2020 kind of had a finger on the scale for Biden. They suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop. You know, they were flagging tweets for misinformation that were you know, resulting in a lot of Trump supporters being um, banned or having their tweets suppressed, that sort of thing. And now here we are um, in the 2024, the early stages of the 2024 cycle, and the new owner of Twitter is literally hosting a town hall event, you know, to announce Ron DeSantis's presidential run. So, you know, it's like the very thing that these people were so mad about just a couple months ago and, you know, their congressional hearings and, you know, innumerable Fox segments about that. Um, You know, Elon is doing the exact same thing, if not, you know, clearly far more egregious um, just months later. Yeah, worse. I mean, this would be like as if Jack Dorsey was, had been on there in 2020 every day banging the drum for Joe Biden. Right. I mean, imagine the right wing would have went absolutely nuts if he had done that. Um, so, yeah, they were they were you could argue that they were helping Biden in subtle ways. I don't necessarily think so, but you could make that argument. Um, but this is this is just saying I'm, I'm I'm I run Twitter I own Twitter and I'm 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 team DeSantis. I mean he said last year that he wants DeSantis to run and he would support DeSantis. Right. So then when he was asked yesterday he says, "Well, I'm not ready to make an endorsement yet." And then I also saw this morning he said, "Oh, I would be happy to host a Twitter space for Donald Trump and Joe Biden." I'm well, sure he would. Know, yeah. We know that will never happen. Neither one of them will do it. Trump Trump doesn't like Musk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Elon would love that because obviously, um, you know, hosting Trump would be big business for him. But uh, yeah, it's probably more likely some, something of that sort be more likely to happen on true social. I don't think they really have the technical capability there to have any sort of live space. So it probably more of like a Newsmax thing or something at this point at this point or another another CNN town hall, perhaps. But um, I promise I'm not just going to ask you about your tweets. But again, you were on fire yesterday. You had another one that I, I want to kind of unpack a little bit here because um you so basically you wrote uh, quote I've been saying for a year that the impetus to begin the destruction of the mega movements control of the Republican Party is a Ron DeSantis primary candidacy end quote. Explain a little bit more about what you mean there. Um, you know, I take it that you think this is going to drive a wedge in the movement. Um, you know, maybe I'm kind of naive. I still am operating with the assumption that it's basically Trump's primary to lose at this point. But in what sense do you think this could really splinter uh, or, or, you know, kind of fracture the control that Trump has over the Republican Party? Yeah. So, you know, I watched from inside the Republican Party as a Republican Party official activist appointee, how Trump transformed the party at the grassroots level and on the online level and, and everything, the county parties. I watched it change. So my perspective, I think, is a little different on this than a lot of media maybe, um, and even a lot of campaign people, just because I watched it happen with my own eyes and I've been to many Trump rallies. So the thing is, what has to happen for our democracy and our republic and our politics to be healthy again is this movement cannot control the Republican Party. 
So it's not enough just to defeat Donald Trump in an election or to even have the two of them going at it. Really, what has to happen is this the movement's hold over the Republican Party has to be broken up. So if you game out scenarios, I absolutely believe DeSantis has a chance here. I absolutely do. In an electoral college, in a really smart way, if he does it the right way, I think he's got a shot. He's definitely going to stay in this for the long haul. He's going to stay in it to the end. And so what what this is going to happen, they're both very thin-skinned. They're both very vindictive people. Um, They're going to be fighting over every state rep, every state senator, every governor is going to be forced to take a side. A lot of them are going to want to stay out of it. But these two characters are going to really and their henchmen are going to really put a lot of pressure on these people to take sides. Um, The influence are are already fighting with each other and going at each other like crazy right now. That's only going to get worse. These people who are lifelong friends and allies now hate each other. I've seen this happen. Um, So what happens? So let's say that let's say somehow DeSantis wins, which I think is possible as I've said, MAGA is loyal to Trump. If you talk to these people at Trump rallies, as I have done, they will tell you they are not Republicans. They only happen to be Republicans because Trump happens to be a Republican. But the day that Trump tells them, we're out of here, you know, I've been wronged, um, we're leaving, the primary was rigged, whatever, um, they're all globalists, I'm starting a third party, they walk. You know, and that's a big chunk of the party. The other scenario is, um, I mean, some, Trump has a cash has a money problem right now. He doesn't have much cash on hand. He doesn't have cash coming in. So, I mean, not as much as in the past. And now he's going to have to spend whatever he has. He's going to get to the end of this primary broke, and he's going to get there because of Ron DeSantis. So you're talking about him being bloody, bruised, broke, and under five criminal indictments, and he's going to blame it his loss on Ron DeSantis. You know when he when he loses. So I I can see you know let's say Trump goes to prison, Trump loses the election. All of these MAGA people that he brought into the party that I watched come in who had never voted before, who had never showed up at a political meeting, who had never voted for a Republican, these people are all going to leave. They're, they're not going to stick around and vote for, you know, Vivek or, you know, uh, uh, Glenn Youngkin. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mitt Romney, you know, these people don't they don't like any other Republicans very much. So hmm. that's this is the problem. It's going to it's going to tear apart this movement. It's going to tear apart, apart the party at the grassroots level all the way up. And I'm going to be in the middle of it starting fights. I mean, I'm I'm already doing it. You know, um, I'm already going, hey, look, I talk to these people a lot. I DM them a lot, right wingers. Mm-hmm. And I say, hey, because I don't I don't want to make enemies of them, the grassroots influencers um, necessarily. So I go, hey, did you see what this person just said about you? <laughs> I make sure that they know it. You know? And and then they then they go, oh, shit. And then they go go after that. And I watch them start fighting. So. Look, I'm an instigator here of, of this sure. this problem. I can tell you, Laura Loomer is going to be at the Four Seasons today, organizing a protest of um, DeSantis's uh, appearance after yeah. the Twitter Spaces. 
So I'm kind what of a, what a there what poetry what poetry that is as well for people who who missed that the first uh, event is this happening after you know his Twitter space or is this it's after yeah. the Twitter space so it's this evening is yeah. at the Four Seasons uh, so yeah. and I you know actually yeah. the, the Four Ski yeah the the Four Seasons landscaping account was actually highlighting this yesterday uh, you know just one of those plot twists that you you couldn't make up if this thing was being written for an HBO series or something like that. Technical production for The Aaron Rupar Show is provided by Studio Americana, an audiobook and podcast production company based in Minneapolis, serving clients nationwide. Studio Americana specializes in high-quality recording, editing, and production services. They work with authors and publishers looking to meet the growing demand for audiobook content. Their team of producers and editors ensure the process is easy and efficient. They also assist with equipment, voice coaching services, voice talent for audiobook narration, and professional podcasts. If you're ready to get started, go to studioamericana.com forward slash contact to set up a meeting. I'm kind of surprised. I want to circle back on your optimism or your, I guess not optimism, but your um, belief that DeSantis can make a real uh, campaign out of this because, you know, his polling has been very flat now going back basically since November. You know, Trump, after the midterms, had a bit of, you know, he took a hit, obviously, when Republicans struggled in the midterms. But since basically, um, you know, mid-November, I'm trying to remember what legal development coincided with that. Something happened that kind of allowed Trump to circle the wagons legally um, around York, that time. The New York indictment. Was okay. I thought I thought it was before that though, because didn't oh. Trump's polling really stabilize like December, January, somewhere in there? But in any event, um, DeSantis has been pretty flat now, going back about six months. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious what you think. You know, a successful DeSantis campaign looks like. How does he get back some juice? You know, make this a more competitive race. Now, granted, one thing, one caveat I should throw in here is that I'm citing national polls, which are not super useful because obviously right. the primary is a state by state situation. And so even if DeSantis is polling 30 points behind Trump nationally, if he can pick off a couple of the early states that can flip that in a quick hurry. So, you know, people shouldn't make too much over the national polls, but I think, you know, you'd be pretty hard pressed to find polls that look good for DeSantis at this point. So, so what's kind of behind your belief that he can make a real campaign out of this? A number of things. First, it, yes, it's an electoral college strategy. So forget the national polls. Yeah. Uh, I think so. So it's it's going to be he where he's got to pick off certain states. I think his strategy is a West Coast, Florida, win Florida, win the West Coast and with the Midwest and the, and the Northeast. That's DeSantis's strategy. That's the smart strategy. And and banking on these indictments to come at a critical point in time, you know, August, let's say Georgia happens in August, which looks likely. Let's say Jack Smith happens in September, October. Then you've got trial dates. You've got him being out on bond, you know. Um, and I think DeSantis, that's where he intends to flip the momentum. You know, get out there, do some ad buys. Um, what's really important is for him to knock out some of these other players, which is why Trump is mm. so uh, cheering on. Every time somebody else gets in the race, Trump's happy. Yeah. Trump says, Nikki Haley, come on in. You know, Tim Scott, great. You know, Mike Pence, come on down. Because what he knows is that there's there's like a 60% anti-Trump vote right now, probably within the Republican Party that's looking for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the more you have in the race, they're going to carve up that 60% into smaller pieces 
But I think what DeSantis is hoping is to knock out some of these other candidates while Trump gets indicted. And then just to make the case of, look, you let's be practical here. There's no way that the American people in a general election are going to are going to elect a president who's under multiple felony indictments, federal and state. So I think that that's the case that he's going to make. So how can you how can you validate any poll in in May of 2023 when you have the front runner about to be indicted multiple times? Mm -hmm. Like these polls to me don't don't mean anything. They're they're so irrelevant to me. Um, so I, yeah, I pay I pay no attention to them. I, I, but the but the thing is, DeSantis has to do this in a smart way, and I'm not seeing that. Right. I mean, DeSantis is fighting with Trump over the MAGA base, over the MAGA voters, and he's doing it with his strategy is policy. He's saying, look, Trump says he's going to do all this stuff. I've actually done all this stuff. Look at all these things I've done, in, and that's his stump speech. He rattles off all the things he's done in Florida. The problem is MAGA doesn't care about policy. They don't, they, they, they look at those things and they go, yeah, great. You know, but the bottom line is the reason why they love Trump has nothing to do with policy. Right. It it's, he owns the libs, you know, it's, it's the bombastic. It's the, he's the billionaire. He's the bad boy, all of that stuff. Uh, he, you know, hates the media. Mm -hmm. So, you know, DeSantis trying to fight with Trump over those people is the dumbest strategy possible. He needs to go after that 60%. And his messaging right now is not luring those 60%. So I think that's why his poll numbers have gone down more than anything, is that there's this well of voters out there who are looking for an alternative to Trump. But he's only thing he's selling them is, I'm more Trumpy than Trump. Yeah. That's not going to work. Yeah. And there's also, um, you know, we've seen this dynamic repeatedly now where when Trump's legal problems escalate, it actually results in his polling among Republicans going up. Uh, you know, we saw that with the FBI raid. Um, I believe earlier when I was fumbling for what the the cause of his polling going up in the winter was, I believe that was when um, Jack Smith was appointed special counsel and kind of the gnashing of teeth over that. Um, so I guess that's maybe part of my uh, pessimism about DeSantis is just that I'm not convinced that if Trump did, you know, if there were more indictments, if the legal problems mounted, I'm not convinced that that would erode his support really at all among Republicans. Um, it would cause problems in the general for him, I think. But um, but maybe you are right that, you know, I could be kind of over extrapolating from the very loud Trump supporters online. And maybe there is kind of this silent part of the, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to say a majority, but, you know, maybe it is um, a, a substantial percentage of Republicans that are open to a non-Trump candidate i guess the one other factor to keep in mind though is that a lot of national polling has trump solidly over 50 percent among republicans and so once you hit that sort of threshold it's like even if the rest of them did coalesce behind a non-trump candidate it would still be a minority to trump's majority but a lot of them are in denial over indictments and you have you have to factor that in whereas the left believes oh he's he's going to be indicted and they just take that as a given this is not the case among a lot of Republicans. There are a lot of the Republicans that are, are supporting Trump right now who believe that he will not be indicted. Hmm. Or if he is indicted, it's going to be for some little technical thing like New York. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think when the reality and the gravity of these indictments hit and, the, and it turns out to be much worse than even we believe. So think about it. I believe these indictments are going to be much worse than even we believe when we when we finally learn everything. And I'm talking about 
what all these people have been saying, Trump's people have been saying to grand juries, when all of that comes out and we don't know any of it, it's going to be way worse than we thought. And so I think that if it's you, you're talking about taking that to people who don't even believe he's going to be indicted for anything. They're still in denial about that. So I just believe when all of that hits them like a ton of bricks that, that look, this is real. This is actually happening. He's actually it's worse than you thought. And I think that, it, no, the cultists, the hardcore cultists are going to dig in deeper and double mm -hmm. down. But I think some of them are going to peel away. They're going to go, oh, man, this is bad. We didn't think it was just going to be this bad. He can't win. You know, I think that that's what's going to happen. Hmm. Well, stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll see, see in the months to come if that I if that happens. Um, <laughs> I, I, I want to pivot for a second to Tim Scott, uh, one of the non-Trump candidates who is now officially in the race. Um, I believe that was on Monday that he had his campaign launch speech. Um, I mostly remember it from his voice, very embarrassingly cracking at the very beginning of it. And then he gave a speech where he didn't so much as even allude to Trump. Um, I didn't think there was a ton of substance from the speech itself that was notable beyond that. However, when you and I were DMing uh, to set up this uh, podcast, you mentioned to me that you thought his speech was nuts. Um, why did you think that? And, and what do you make more broadly about the Tim Scott candidacy? Okay, so I'll talk about his speech in a second, but let me just point this out as a longtime Republican campaign guy, is that black Republican candidates always poll higher than they get than they get votes. Hmm. And 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 I think there's a reason for that. I think that um that when pollsters call uh Republicans, uh they want to say the right thing. You know, they, they don't want to be accused, let's say, of being racist or they want to they want to be open minded, whatever. So I think a lot of Republicans and you could look at Ben Carson, you can go back. You can go back um, one one of the other presidential candidates. They always poll higher than they than they actually get votes. Herman so, Cain, another another example. Yeah. 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 And so I think that what happens is they tell pollsters, oh, yes, we love Tim Scott. He's a great guy. But then when they get in the voting booth, they're not going to vote for him. So I think that that's Tim Scott's problem. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the speech was kind of crazy. I mean, he has a compelling personal story and that part of his speech was good. You know, his whole background and stuff like that. But I mean, there was just so many so much weirdness to it. I mean, you have to kind of see it to believe it all. The yeah. Just, oh, just, right. Well, the, the vibes were weird for sure. Um, weird. Yeah. yeah. And then, not I mean, the, he, he the substance, the, the, the part where he, you know, he does this all the time where he brags about failing civics in high school. It's like, it's a bit of a cell phone, <laughs> I would say, um, you know, cause it, it's not, it's, it's not like he, I guess the subtext is that he's had kind of a personal transformation since yeah. then or something, but, but it's still, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, brag about if you failed uh, Spanish or something, that's, that's one thing, but, but civics, that's kind of tough. But, you know, the funny part is, you know, a gay Republican could never get elected. Right. Still, you know, I, I don't see it possible. I mean, there's still a, there's still the hostility mm -hmm. to gay people. And um, as I remind Rick Grinnell uh, all the time, right. Uh, whenever they attack him, I make sure he knows about it for being gay. And that's also reason reason why I posted the Caitlyn Jenner uh, photo at Miralago, because I know they they every time Caitlyn goes to Miralago, MAGA is pissed. They, they hate they hate Caitlyn Jenner. They hate that tr he hangs out at Mar-a-Lago. So every time he's there, I try and throw that that picture out there. And I and I aggravated them even more by adding, what do you, which bathroom do you think he used? You know, which which is very important to MAGA. 
you know, it's not something we we really care about very much, but yeah, that's a big deal for them. So I'm guessing I'm guessing she probably used the women's, although um, who knows? Um, well, but yeah, she clapped back at me. She she uh, posted last night that she wasn't very happy about my tweet. She didn't she didn't answer the question. I noticed, though, either. She just no. kind of ducked that one. Uh, I'm <laughs> guessing they don't have unisex bathrooms there. So, no, he she I'm sorry, pointed out. All right, I, I grew up with Bruce um, that uh, they have 34 bathrooms, apparently, at Mar-a-Lago. So it wasn't an issue. Was sure. Like, and, and she probably gets VIP accommodations <laughs> there, I would think. So um, yeah. I, I have never been. Have you, have you actually been there before tomorrow, Lago? I've never been. No. I've driven past it, but. Yeah, driven past, but no, have not yeah. been in there. You know, it's funny. I just got invited to be the um, keynote speaker at the next Trump uh, boat parade with Roger Stone. Uh, the organizer invited me to come and he said I would be his guest and I could speak right before Roger Stone. And uh, I, I I told him I don't think I can make it out of there alive. Um, <laughs> what would they I, have you speak about there? I would do it, honestly, because I'm not I'm I'm not afraid of those people. I mean, I these are people I I've spent the last 40 years with in politics, yeah. but uh, 30 years. Um, but no, I don't think I would. That kind of an environment has a lot of pretty scary people at the boat parades. I've I've been to them like blending in, but I can't I can't blend in anymore. So they all know who I am and they all hate me. You know, yeah. Rod, Roger definitely hates me. You know, so what are kind of the broader what's the vibe like in Florida? Because, you know, obviously DeSantis is the governor there. Trump is probably the most famous resident at this point of Florida. Um you know, is this kind of consuming the news cycle down there, this this primary? Um, is it very polarizing with people kind of taking sides? I mean, you're obviously still associated with a lot of Republicans, although you're no longer a Republican. I'm sure you're kind of plugged in with what's going on. So, uh, you know, just, just give us a sense for those of us who are not in Florida of how things on the ground are playing out as this primary really starts heating up. I think DeSantis will beat Trump in Florida. I, that's my that's my feeling. I, I really do. I, I think that... Um, DeSantis is still very popular with Florida Republicans, um, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, so I, I, I think that he will do. It will be very close. I think he has to win. DeSantis has to win Florida to pull it off. Uh, I think he's banking on that. Um, is it is it early in the process? The Florida primary, like where where does that fall? You know, the early ones obviously can be more important just to kind of set the trajectory of things. But yeah, it's early ish. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's um, one of the earlier ones, but not like I think it's probably like maybe ninth or tenth, okay. um, in there, maybe right after Super Tuesday, right in there. Um, but the you know the interesting thing is the elected officials and the endorsements here. Uh, you know, yeah. um, the chair of the party is trying to stay neutral. Whether Trump and DeSantis will allow that to continue, he's clearly a DeSantis guy, but he's trying to play both sides. So he's kind of in the middle of it. But, you know, most of all of the state uh, legislative delegation has endorsed DeSantis, almost all, with the exception of Joe Gruters, who is the past chair of the party, who's always been a Trump loyalist. So um, so that's interesting. And again, I don't know how much these endorsements mean either. Yeah, I think we, well, over, we overplay endorsements. Well, because yeah. the flip side of that coin is that hasn't basically the entire Republican congressional delegate delegation from Florida endorsed Trump. Um, that's, so that's the th other side. Yeah. yeah. What if anything explains that difference? That's odd to me that, you know, the, Weird, the yeah. congressional members are all, you know, team Trump. And then the, I guess maybe it's just, the, you know, the state officials are working day to day with DeSantis. And so there, there's well, a little more of a closeness it. there.
he has the ability to blackmail them, you know, sure. um, and he already has, um, he, you know, I, those endorsements were already lined up months ago um, mm-hmm. and, and they were lined up during the session. And the word is that, yeah, that all they all have their little priorities, legislative priorities for their district. And word was that DeSantis told them, you're not getting any of your priorities unless you endorse me. And of course, he denies that, but enough people have said that that I believe it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I think that that's what happened. What happened is he twisted arms among the state reps. Meanwhile, Trump went after the congressional de- delegation because he doesn't know the state reps. You know, uh, he knows the Congress, the members of Congress. So he went after them. Interestingly enough, as Greg Stubbe spilled the beans on, uh, DeSantis blew blew them off. Um, he said he tried to call DeSantis a couple of times and DeSantis didn't return his phone call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's where his interpersonal skills, you know, when you only have one playbook. See, this is the difference between the two men. Trump can do the the honey and honey and vinegar. As much as we hate Trump, yeah. Trump has a charm sure. and people love him. He does have that. Put his arm around. He compliments you. He does have the interpersonal skills that DeSantis does not have. Right. Right. And he so he can threaten and he can also honey you up and and sweet talk you. DeSantis only has one playbook threaten. Yeah. And that doesn't work with a congressman. You know, interesting. Yeah. I mean, do you think that um, do you think that there's an appropriate amount made over? I mean, maybe, maybe there is DeSantis's lack of interpersonal skills. I mean, he went up to New Hampshire over the weekend and the trip seemed to mostly backfire because the only reporting I really saw from it were little video clips of him being extremely awkward in diners and, you know, having kind of weird facial expressions that I think you even had a, a tweet uh, where you said something like, you know, it's as though he has an earpiece with his wife, Casey, telling him what expression to make and when sort of thing. Um, you know, I sometimes wonder as someone who kind of traffics in, in video clips, um, you can take things out of context and make you know, almost anybody look bad or look awkward if you kind of hone in on, on a small snippet of time. But there seems to be enough here with DeSantis where, you know, it seems to be kind of a real thing. Um, how much of a problem do you think this is going to be for him? I mean, do you think it's really going to be debilitating when he when he's introduced to a national audience, the fact that he just seems like kind of an awkward guy that you wouldn't really want to spend time with? Yeah, well, what you said is true, but like they, you know, they clip Biden every day, you know, his oh, gaps yeah. and his mistakes. And, you know, we see those. Hmm. Um I I see him every day and that's it's it's uh it's tough but uh, to watch some of the stuff that they clip um and the problem is you know many people on the left never see those mistakes or gaffes I see them and so that causes me to maybe have a little bit of a different opinion about the race than many other democrats um but the reason why this is so beautiful is because the left is allied with with the Trump supporters. Yeah, <laughs> respect yeah. to DeSantis. So, look, the clip of the snot. Look, I got that. Oh from yeah, Brendan, from Brendan Dilly, who is a just a right wing mischief maker nutcase. Yeah, who who I got that from, and um, uh, you know the heel, the high heel, like like we're passing stuff back and forth. Me and Trump influencers. Um, so the beautiful thing is. In a situation like that where we might make fun of it, then the right the right would jump on me and come back at me um, saying, you know, that I this is all bullshit and I fabricated it or whatever. You know, there'd be this push pull. Yeah. But now there's not the push pull. It's 
I'm putting stuff out. They're picking it up. They pick up my stuff. They're all following me, all the MAGA people, because they love my anti-DeSantis stuff. Yeah. So they take my stuff and they retweet it. I'm taking their stuff. So it's like Trump supporters and me and people like me on the left together. It's a non-aggression pact. So well, this is yeah. why I think, yeah, it's going to be just brutal for him. Yeah. And he doesn't have a thick enough skin to be able to take it. Yeah. You know? and, and the snot video for people who may have missed this was uh, DeSantis was filmed at some sort of meet and greet event where um, basically he kind of like it wasn't quite like a sneeze, but he, he you know put his hand up to his nose and kind of scraped it as though he was kind of getting a, a booger off there or something, and then immediately pat, patted a guy on the back who's in a wheelchair. Um, there's really no way to spin that. I mean, you see it, it. It's a short clip, but I mean, it kind of says everything you need to to have said about that situation there. And and just one note on the Biden stuff. I mean, certainly, you know, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of clips of Biden gaffes and him kind of, you know, having verbal uh, mistakes, stumbling, that sort of thing. I think the right really does a lot of harm to their cause by, you know, especially like the RNC research account where they will they post like it. they'll yeah. post like three second sentence yeah. fragments, you know, where, where like it's so clearly deceptive that, you know, Biden is obviously a pretty target rich environment if you're just trying to highlight kind of verbal stumbles and him sounding like he's confused or not really making sense. And, um, you know, and I guess lefties have been accused from time to time of doing similar stuff with Trump. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, when you have an official RNC account that's kind of pushing out these three second, four second clips that are so transparently out of context and misleading, um, you know, I would argue that does more harm to their cause than good, actually. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a lot more ruthless. I mean, does the DNC even have something like the RNC? I mean, I I think DNC has some kind of rapid war room thing, but it's, I don't really, it's, I haven't seen any, anything produced by it that is of any use. I sure. think, I think the two of us are more valuable than anything official that they yeah. have. But, but I, I do think that the Republican um, accounts like that war room type rapid react type are, are, are very effective, but I agree with you. They overplay their, sometimes they point out things that are supposed to be embarrassing that he did one was he kissed his granddaughter you know right and they're always saying he's a pedophile and he always touches kids and and um and so they played that up and i think maybe they didn't well i think they knew it was his granddaughter that he kissed on the forehead it was her first time voting that's i remember that's what it was she was 18 and he was there with her and she was voting in the 2022 midterms and he gave her a little kiss on the forehead. Well, they put it out like this is some random kissing yeah. an eighteen-year-old girl, like rando girl, you know, when it's his granddaughter, right? And it's just like the easy and, way. Hey, that's his granddaughter, yeah. dude, you know. Well, and that's kind of the problem is that the zone is so flooded with BS that you know, even if like it turned out that you know, there's this house investigation into the Biden finances right now. And, you know, you have Nancy Mays talking about prostitution rings and Marjorie Taylor Greene was on Bannon show today talking about Biden being involved in human trafficking and things like this. And like, even if there was something legitimate that came up, you know, that it turned out that Biden really was getting paid off, you know, because of Hunter Biden or something like that. They've so they've created so much doubt and skepticism and confusion that I, you know, I don't even think that would necessarily break through at this point because people would kind of discount it right off the bat. And so I don't know. I, again, I just think, you know, uh, it's obviously all political, but um, it could end up doing more harm than good to the Republican cause because you create so much skepticism 
over everything that you say that, you know, even for someone like me, you know, who, who follows this stuff for a living, like out of hand, anything that Nancy Mace or Marjorie Taylor Greene says about the Biden family, I am discounting immediately, you know, and that goes for pretty much any Republican. So uh, there's a cost to, you know, trying to turn everything into this huge conspiracy or, you know, every interaction with Biden's granddaughter being spun as some sort of instance of pedophilia. Yeah, I mean, they're all always overhyping these big reveals, you know, right. And it's like Mike Lindell does it, Carrie Lake does it, you know, James Comer does it. And they're always hyping that this is going to be the big moment, you know, where we're going to and and they call these press conferences. And then the first question is, well, do you have anything to directly relating to Joe? <laughs> well, we're working on that. Or, you know, we yeah. lost our informant or, you know, <laughs> this has always been the problem. All the sex trafficking stuff has to do with, you know, Hunter hooking up with prostitutes, which they allege some of them were from Ukraine or Russia or wherever. But that has nothing to do with Joe Biden. You know, yeah. whatever Hunter was doing and he was doing a lot of shady stuff. Well, who cares? He's yeah. not in the government. He's not like Jared Kushner, you right. know, flying to the Middle East to negotiate a peace deal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very last thing. I just I want to with a couple minutes we have left here, pick your brain on someone else that I know you uh, tweet about quite a bit and track closely. And you just mentioned her, Carrie Lake. Um, you know, she had a big press conference yesterday after her lawsuits about her loss in 2022 was thrown out by the Arizona Supreme Court. And she's now petitioning the U.S. Supreme Court. You had kind of a facetious tweet, um, you know, previewing what an, an order from the Supreme Court would look like, you know, if it was to install Carrie Lake as governor. Um, I know that you were kind of joking about that, but I mean, how worried should we be that something like that could happen? It seems extremely unlikely, obviously, but um Maybe not. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Is this something that the Supreme yeah. Court can seriously indulge? I mean, that's the funny part of of her press conference was that, which is, yeah, utterly absurd. I was just trying to joke that maybe Harlan Block could buy off Thomas, you know. Um, a lot of people didn't, really didn't like that tweet because they thought, you know, don't joke about something like that because yeah. it's it cuts too close to being real. But look, the the scariest part of her press conference is what she said about the mail-in ballots. And and she she basically can. I've heard this from other Republicans, which is, OK, we've ignored mail-in balloting. We believe that Republic the Democrats have been cheating on mail-in ballots for years and forging signatures. So if that's the way the game is now, we've got to play that game, too. And she flat out said that. And my tweet where she said that got some response, but not as much as it should have. I think that's something because. If they if they have it, have it in their head, Democrats are all cheating. We have to cheat too to win. That's a scary prospect for twenty four. I could see a lot of Republican fraud, and then as soon as Democrats start complaining about fraud, they're going to say, "Oh, now you're the conspiracy theorist," right. even though it's legit. Yeah, yeah that that's a scary prospect. Probably less scary is the possibility that she runs for Senate because oh, she's um, running. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that probably would be you know, welcome news, I think, uh, on behalf of most Democrats, because obviously, you know, she lost last time around. I, I don't think her her whining tour that she's been doing for six months has really endeared her any further to, you know, kind of mainstream voters in Arizona. So there's other dynamics of that race that could obviously get complex if it's a, you know, if it's cinema versus a Democrat versus someone like Carrie Lake. I guess Carrie Lake in that scenario could perhaps win. But um, as far as Republicans on the ballot go, that's probably the best Democrats could hope for. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Cinema makes that a wild card. She doesn't win if it's not a three-way race. That cinema being in is her only chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Ron. Really appreciate your time today. We'll check back in with you as things unfold and uh, get your your Florida color on the uh, Republican primary.
All right, Aaron, thanks. Thanks for the invite. That's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. New episodes of the Aaron Rupar show drop every Thursday. Please like the show uh, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your circle. Thank you for tuning in. 